0: We as a faith family are starting today a new sermon series called Sanity. We're walking through the book of Proverbs together as a faith family. Uh, we're reading a chapter a week of, of the book of Proverbs, but this week we have memorized together as a faith family Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. So what I'd like for us to do is, uh, Josh, if you can put up on the screen, for those of you watching online, I want you to say it out loud with us. For us as a faith family, let's say Proverbs 1 7 together. Can we do that? "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline." Proverbs 1-7. And each week we're going to be quoting a proverb together as a faith family. Uh, This upcoming week we'll have a a new proverb that we'll be memorizing together that I'll let you know about here in just a few minutes and we'll quote it again next week. Before we get to that, I do want to show some really cool pictures that I have received for the kids who are gathered here in the room and those of you engaging with us online. As you're listening to the sermon, as you are hearing the word, I want to encourage you just to draw out of picture. And if you want to, you can send them to me. Uh, This one I want to show you real quick is from Hadley Glass. This is so good. A great picture. It's got the three crosses and some beautiful colors on it. And on the back, she says, Jesus loves me so much that I would do anything for him. Oh, Hadley, I love it. That is precious. That is just so good. Thank you for getting that to me. And then her sister Hope drew one as well. She's got the the cross in the background, just like here, and the pulpit. Got that nailed right there. And I've got the Jimmy Neutron hair, and that looks so good. And from our sermon series on through the gospel of Mark on the move and, and how Jesus gives a, a warning, you slay, sin, or die. Amen. Man, it's so good. Thank you for, for sending that. And this next one comes from Colton. Colton uh, submitted this one to me. What I love here, he's got the three crosses and then you can see he wrote the words, God is good. Colton has autism. His mother told me this week that when she found out, she prayed, Lord, if he never says my name, I pray that he would speak your word. And it is just a joy to see this written on this paper. So Colton, thank you so much for drawing this picture for me. And for kids who are here, would love for you to draw something and and give it to me. I just, I, I treasure these as wonderful gifts. You know, when you turn on the TV or scroll through your social media feed, it is evident that we live in a confused world. People have lost their ever-loving minds. We have become a nation of fools. Now, we could spend most of our time diagnosing why this is taking place, We could point to the decay of the family, partisan politics, overworked police, underpaid teachers, lack of fidelity to the local church, fatherlessness, poverty. We could go on and on. But ultimately, foolishness is rooted in a heart that is in rebellion against God. John Calvin wrote that the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts, when we are left to ourselves, it leads to chaos, confusion, and anarchy. Jeremiah 17 verse nine says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? This is why the advice, follow your heart, is terrible advice. The hearts of people who have turned away from the Lord and live in habitual, unrepentant rebellion against the Lord, there will come a time in which the Lord will hand you over to the desires of your heart. When you see a culture in chaos, you see a people who have lost the authority of the Lord. What does this look like? In Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us what this looks like. He writes, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over and the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forevermore, amen. God has revealed himself through creation. He has made himself abundantly present by what he has made, Romans 1, so that everyone is without excuse. But rather men suppress the truth. They reject the reality of the creator and rather worship created things. People grope in the darkness looking for light and purpose and meaning apart from God and darkness fills their hearts. The world thinks they are wise, but they're in absolute rebellion against God. They are fools. They turn and worship idols, which today, it looks like financial greed, partisan politics, self-promotion, sexual freedom. And in Romans one twenty four, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. This is a heartbreaking reality, and it's this. When people consistently abandon God, God will abandon them. Romans 1, Paul is saying eventually God will hand people over to the desires of their hearts. If you continually reject him, eventually he will say, you can have it. And that is a terrifying place to be. You see, Romans 1 is commentary of what's happening in our world today. People who claim to be wise are actually fools. And as they continue to push back against the truth, as they reject the light of Christ, God hands them over to the desires of their heart. And Westwood, as followers of Jesus, we are not living in the promised land. We are in Babylon. We are not home yet. We are sojourners. We are aliens in a foreign land. We are elect exiles who are marching to Zion. We are looking forward to the new Jerusalem. We are anticipating the new kingdom. The question I want us to answer over these next several weeks is how? How are we to live in this Romans 1 world? As those who are bought by the blood of Christ, as those who belong to Jesus, how do we, as followers of Christ, remain faithful to Jesus in a world in chaos? Well, when we get to the book of Proverbs, we learn exactly how we are then to live. And we see where it all begins in Proverbs chapter one. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter one. We're beginning a sermon series, looking through the book of Proverbs together. There is so much to unpack. Um, we have been reading chapter by chapter every day. And so today is uh, September the 6th. And so today's the day you would read Proverbs chapter 6. This morning I was reading through it and I was reminded, go to the ant and, and work hard for the glory of God. There is so much to unpack. Tomorrow, on September 7th, you will be in Proverbs chapter 7. As you're turning there, if you're gathered here and do not have one of our devotional guides, you can grab one on your way out uh, this morning. For those of you engaging with us online, uh, we can mail one to you, or you can download it on the church website. Proverbs is a collection of short succinct sayings of wisdom that come from Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream and says, ask for whatever you want. What does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. He asks the Lord for a discerning heart. Here is a young man, probably early 20s, who's now the king of Israel his father, David, has passed away, so he can't go to him for wisdom. Here is a young man who is looking for insight of how to lead a nation. And the Lord loves his request. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. The Lord loves to give his children good gifts. And so when we as God's children cry out for wisdom, he loves to give it to us. James chapter uh, one, verse five, he says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. The Lord loves to give wisdom to those who cry out to him. Well, Solomon was given wisdom from God. And Israel was amazed by the wisdom that came forth from him. As we see later in 1 Kings chapter four, Israel is stunned by the wisdom of Solomon as he is brought before this situation where there are two moms and one baby. One woman saying, no, this is my baby. And the other one saying, no, 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 that's my baby. So she, she said, she said situation. Well, whose is it? Well, Solomon says, bring me a sword we'll cut the baby in two and each of you can have half. One of them says, fine by me. The other says, no, 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 don't do that. She can have the baby. And Solomon says, that's the mama right there. Israel was amazed by the wisdom of this king. It's interesting, you look at 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. This is a man of great wisdom. Israel marveled at what came forth from him. And when we get to Proverbs chapter 1, we begin this book written by Solomon, speaking of wisdom. And in chapter 1, verse 1, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity— For teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or parable, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline." The introduction to the book of Proverbs here sets the premise for the rest of the book. Indeed, a proverb is a short, simple statement that teaches timeless, timeless truths and principles and nuggets of wisdom. Well, there, today there are two questions I want us to answer from the text. Okay, the first is this: What is wisdom? What is it? There's four things we see here in the text. First, wisdom is living skillfully. It's living skillfully. The book of Proverbs is verse two for learning wisdom and discipline for understanding insightful sayings. That word for wisdom, it means skill or expertise in living like an expert carpenter who knows how to handle his tools. Or like a writer who has a proficient wordsmith vocabulary, which I don't have. Or like a chef who can, can cook with these exquisite foods. Proverbs is written so that those who will listen, there's the key, those who will listen will have a skill in life. In the world that lives, lives in stupidity and folly, wisdom is the skill of living a godly life as God has intended you to live. But notice what it takes to gain this wisdom. Verse two, discipline. It requires discipline to be a man of understanding, to be a woman of understandings. understanding. If we're gonna be those who discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness, we must be a people who daily deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. If we're gonna be a people of discipline, it means renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and living upright and godly lives in this present age. You see, living skillfully means turning away from worldly wisdom, turning away from the desires of your heart, and rather you, you learn discipline to walk in the truth. Foolish people despise discipline. In Proverbs 5, Solomon warns of the wayward, adulterous woman who seduces a man towards sexual immorality. He warns his son, stay far away from her. Don't go near her. Say as far away as you can. You see, in our sex-crazed world who mocks the exclusive sexual union between one husband and one wife for life, we must avoid temptation toward sexual immorality. We are to flee pornography, run away from adultery. We don't even allow there to be a hint of any kind of impropriety. We must discipline ourselves. If not, listen to Solomon's warning. In Proverbs 5, verse 11, he says, at the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. He goes on to say in verse 21, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Westwood, as your pastor, I long to see you live a life that glorifies God. And God himself has good things in store for you when you walk in obedience to his commands. And so let us be a people who live skillfully. We put our nose in the book of God and we study and we learn how to be those who are wise and we say no to the things of this world and we say yes to Christ and we walk in obedience to him. Secondly, what I want you to see in the text is that wisdom is behaving ethically. It's behaving ethically. Verse three, it's for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. Proverbs instructs the believer on right versus wrong, good versus evil, wisdom versus foolishness. For example, it teaches the importance of truth-telling. In Proverbs 12 verse 22, it says, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. In chapter 19 verse 9, he says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and one who utters lies perishes. Proverbs also teaches the value of justice. Proverbs 18, verse 5, it is not good to show partiality to the guilty, denying an innocent person justice. Solomon is training his son to be a man of righteousness and integrity and justice. Fathers, part of our responsibility is the formation of our children's moral fabric and formation. We teach right versus wrong. We as fathers are to model and to teach what it means to obey the Lord. Parents, you teach your children how to live ethically with your lips and your life. You got to have both moms and dads, grandparents, lips and life have to match. If they don't, you're under the accusation of hypocrisy and children and grandchildren see right through it. So your words and your life must match and you model it and you are intentionally teaching it of what is right and what is wrong. Now here's what's key. We must remember that we don't police our children with religion. We shepherd our children with the gospel. Kenneth, what do you mean? Religion is where a kid says, I messed up, my dad is gonna kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Do you see the difference? You see, when, when not if, when our children sin, we want to teach them that the natural response is to run to God, the Luke 15 prodigal son who sprints to his father. We go to the one who will receive us, who will instruct us, who will discipline us, but care for us. And the way that we do that as parents is we model the same. So that when our children sin, we want them to initially say, I've got to get to my dad. He will receive me he will love me, he will instruct me, he will discipline me, he will shepherd me with truth and grace. And when we model this as parents, we are pointing our children to the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. We, we model grace and truth in our parenting and we shepherd our children towards Jesus. Believers, let us be a, a people who model the gospel by living ethical, morally upright lives. But when we don't reach that perfect ethic, which the entire scriptures are telling us we can't and never will, we are trusting in the one who did. We're banking our lives on the sinless work and life of Jesus. And we're looking by faith to him saying, I'm trusting in his righteousness. He is my model. And by his power through the spirit, I'm going to seek to go and live out a morally, ethically, God-honoring life. So wisdom is right there in the heart of it, behaving ethically. Thirdly, Man, I got to get fast here. My time is closing quick and we got a long way to go. Wisdom is discerning accurately. It's discerning accurately. Verse four, it's for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Shrewdness carries the idea of discernment and and prudence. Uh, It's the lost art of common sense. Parents, has your child ever done something in which you looked at them and just said, what were you thinking? Uh, maybe I'm the only one who does that. But there's, there's a sense in which you're, you're, you're looking at the light, like, what was that? Like, like what was going through there? We're, well, we look around our world. That's what I frequently find myself asking, like, what are you thinking? It's the lost art of shrewdness, common sense, Solomon says, that's what Proverbs is for. It's where you gain wisdom that teaches people how not to be stupid. And this is why the book of Proverbs is for teenagers. Now, I don't mean that as a dig on teenagers, because teenagers, guess what? The parents sitting next to you right now, they used to be teenagers. In fact, okay, informal poll, raise of hands, Parents, when you were between the ages of 13 to 19, raise your hand if you did something stupid. All right, look around. All right, Kevin, only only one hand. One hand, Kevin. Um, That's the point of Proverbs. This book is written for teenagers. Look at verse four. He says it's for the inexperienced. It's for, verse four, a young man. This book is to help those who don't have experience in life yet learn how to make wise choices, how to be shrewd, how to have common sense. 24 times throughout this book, Solomon uses the phrase, my son, my son, my son, my son. He's trying to teach his son how to be wise. And so as parents, we want to rally our kids, especially our teenagers, around the book of Proverbs because it teaches them how to be wise. And here's reality. Every single one of us every week are dealing with hundreds of situations and people in which we need shrewdness. You got to know what to say and how to say it, what to do and how to do it. How do you navigate it? Proverbs guides us in wisdom. Ultimately, we need the shrewdness of Jesus. Jesus, the master at discerning situations, he knew the motivations of people's hearts. He saw past the outward facade and he saw right to the heart. And when you walk with Jesus, when you abide in the spirit, when you're daily sticking your face in his word, God grows you in discernment. Fourthly, wisdom is learning humbly. Verse five, let a wise person listen. Mm-hmm. Don't miss that. Let a wise person listen. Listen. This is a James 119 approach. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. You're someone who who is listening. You want to stand out in this world? Shut your mouth. Hold your opinion. Tame your tongue. Don't be the first to speak. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. You see, as followers of Jesus, were to be marked with humility. And a fruit of humility is listening. You're not going to be the first to speak. And a mark of humility is seen in being teachable. When you're teachable, you're humble. You're willing to be shaped and changed. You're willing to, verse five, seek out wise counsel. You obtain guidance. You invite people into your life who tell you what you want need to hear, not what you want to hear. You receive rebuke. You receive correction. You're continually reading books that point you to Jesus and walking in godliness. You are in hot pursuit of growing in wisdom. It requires learning humbly. So Kenneth, how do I, how do I get this? How do I get this? Look, I'll put it in your notes. It all begins in verse 7. First, you got to submit to the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's a right understanding of who God is and who you are in light of him. When you see God as he is revealed in scripture, that he is high and exalted and he is clothed in majesty. When you see who he is, it, it causes you to get low. When you see his, his holiness and justice, his power and wrath, there's no room for peacocking. You don't walk around with your chest puffed out in the presence of God. When you see who he is, it leads you to tremble before the creator of the universe. The fear of the Lord doesn't just mean that you respect him. It means that you revere him. You are in awe of who he is. It means you understand that you're only alive because he said so. You're only breathing because he was gracious to allow you to do so. The only reason you and I are not in hell is because of his sovereign grace. When you see the Lord for who he is, it causes you to get low and to tremble. Jesus commanded us to fear God. In Luke chapter 12, verse five, he says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Jesus says, fear him who can throw both body and soul in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see, the fear of the Lord requires humbling yourself before God and you honor him with your heart and with your life. I think John Piper does a great illustration here in which he describes, imagine being on a mountain and you see a terrible storm coming. You run for cover and you hide in the safety of a cave. And when you look out, you see the full wrath of the storm coming over you. And if you were outside of the cave, you would be destroyed by the storm. But inside the cave, you're safe. The fear of the Lord is like that outside of Christ we see the full wrath of God his holiness and his justice being brought down like a hurricane and all who are caught in it are destroyed and we as followers of Jesus know that we deserve that and yet by his grace all the mercy of God you are in the cave of Christ's love you are kept safe from judgment. He keeps you. He wraps his arms around you. He sings over you. And so the fear of the Lord is understanding the full wrath of God and that I deserve that, but I'm not. I see who he is in his power, but I'm hidden in Christ who at the cross took the full hurricane of God's wrath and judgment so that I don't have to. The fear of the Lord is seeing God for who he is. And you're saying, I'm going to get low before him. So you you tremble before him, but you also run to him. You delight in him. You love him because Jesus will keep you safe. Wisdom is found right there at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. We get low before him, knowing that outside of him, we are fools. Beloved, if you don't know Jesus, his wrath is terrible. For those of you in this room and those engaging online, if you don't know Christ, run to him now. Believe the gospel, that he went to the cross, gave his life for you at the cross. His blood was shed so that in him you're forgiven. And he was buried and raised again on the third day, offering eternal life for those who trust in him. If you don't know Jesus, trust in him now, please cry out to him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe upon Jesus now and he will receive you. For us who are in Christ, we also don't just submit ourselves to the Lord, but secondly, the fear of the Lord means you stay there. You stay with the Lord. Verse seven, he says, it's the beginning of knowledge. The word for beginning, it doesn't mean just the departure point, but it's the entire path on which you walk. Okay, you don't fear the Lord as the starting gate of wisdom, but rather it's the entire track on which you run. You don't just say, I'm going to begin with Jesus and then I'm going to go do what I want to do. No, 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 that's not how it works. Fear of the Lord is where we continually abide in Jesus. We stay with Jesus. We remain with Jesus. You see, wisdom is not found in a program or a process, but in a person. Wisdom is driving us to Jesus. In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said himself, one who is greater than Solomon is here. Speaking of himself, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Fools despise wisdom. They despise discipline because they don't want to submit to Jesus, the greater King Solomon. But you see, for us who follow Jesus, here's the task, the impact point. Here's what I'm calling all of us to, and it's this. Humbly ask Jesus for wisdom look in his book and go live it out. Beloved, we we are living in a day and age in which biblical Christianity is strange. It's odd. You're going to be seen as weird if you are going to be faithful to Jesus. We don't fit into this world, y'all. It's because this is not our home and as outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day, we're going to be changing and becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we become like him, we're going to look unique and distinct from the rest of the world. And as we pursue Christ, and as we grow to become like him, and we put our face in his book, we're going to come to this ultimate reality that wisdom begins at the feet of Jesus. That is where it starts. That is the path that we run. And that is where we're gonna finish on that great and glorious day when we are going to see the greater King Solomon. We are gonna see the wisdom of God. And we are gonna find that all of the wisdom of God is found right there at the feet of Jesus Christ.